You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. Do you like the Drake? I love the Drake. Welcome to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake Comic Podcast. This podcast will take a chronological look at the third boy to wear the mantle of Robin, Tim Drake. We will start with Tim's origin and then make our way to Tim's ongoing Robin series that went 183 issues. So sit back, relax, and find out why everyone loves the Drake. Good for them. Love the Drake. Got to love the Drake. I'm impressed. What can I say? I'm irresistible. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake comic podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Ah, I'm running out of months in order to celebrate Robin's 75th anniversary. I think I'm milking this all year. <laughs> so any chance I can get to say it's Robin 75. So it's really cool that uh, I've got a, a, actually two podcasts now going on on the TBU uh, network where we could to talk about Robin. I don't have to feel ashamed about being a Robin fan here. Um, back with us again, uh, my I'm almost going to call him my co-host because he's been on uh, long enough now. So uh, Terrence uh, is back on the show. How are you doing tonight, sir? Great, thanks. Uh, I'm kind of uh, becoming like your Mark Bernardin to your Kevin Smith <laughs> from the podcasting world. Yeah, And I will take the Kevin Smith uh, role in it, not because I need to be Kevin Smith, but Kevin Smith in the show every time says, let's just listen to Mark Bernardin talk. So okay, uh, yeah. he's so eloquent. So I'm, I'm going to defer to you the whole entire time. That's funny. Um, I've really, I've liked his Fat Man on Batman uh, podcast, but I got to tell you the last, once like Mark Bernardin has come on, they've really kind of gelled into this. A nice format. So I guess I'm plugging another podcast, but I, I like what they're doing over there. And yeah, it's, it's pretty enjoyable. I guess if somebody's listening to this one, they probably listen to that one too. So yeah. um, they have they have a little bit bigger fan base, I think. But, uh, <laughs> right. But yeah, it's it's pretty enjoyable. Um, we were talking about um, well, f- first of all, before we uh, get into let's uh, get the show of what we're doing here today. Um, we're going to be talking about the uh, the actual first two books in the Nightfall uh, series. Uh, it'll be a uh, Batman uh, four ninety two and Detective Comics six fifty nine. And uh, I thought this was really cool in um, DC in the nineties, and I don't think they do it so much. Now, they may do it, you know, sporadically, but when they were telling a big event, it's they they rallied all the books together and told a long narrative. So eventually, I think uh, Shadows of the Bat and uh, what was the other series that jumped in um, once we get into Night's Quest and Night's End? There was there were four books. Do you remember what the other one was, Shadow of the Bat? And was it Legends? Legends of the Dark Knight. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. And I think Legends actually started out to be... Not in really continuity at all. It would tell its kind of own stories from other eras. So, like, some people were kind of disappointed when Legends jumped in to the Night Quest end of it that, 
that's not what the book was initially intended to do was tell current continuity. Do you ever have a problem with legends jumping in every once in a while and telling a, a continuity story? No, it, it never bothered me. I liked Legends of the Dark Knight because when it first came out, it was kind of going back and retelling a lot of solo Batman year one kind of stuff and, and early Batman. But, you know, once they hit like 50 or 60 issues or so, it's like, OK, you've you've done enough of that um, mm-hmm. if you want to tie it in and stuff. And, and this is um, like Nightfall was huge. So it was something that would be like this monumental thing that it would be fitting to, to tie it in. Um, you know, at this time, it's funny because if you read the letters and and stuff like that, a lot of people was really very critical of you know um, the the bat books and and books like oh well I got to buy fifteen books to read one story or you know I don't read detective and now I got to buy detective and all that. But I always loved it. I love these huge tie-ins. I love these huge stories. Um, and the thing is, people would be critical, but then the sales would be higher for those than any others. So it's kind of like uh, – so actually, if you if you keep reading, about a year or two after this, you'll see that there's a lot of like stuff in the backs of, oh, this will be a one-issue story and, oh, this will be self-contained. And, and I liked it. And then they went back to that format for a few times for some other – Big story arcs, you know, like No Man's Land and, oh, and no. that kind of stuff. But yeah. I, I loved it. I always loved it. Oh, so did I. Uh, no Man's Land. I, I never collected that while it was coming out. I think that might have been where I disappeared in comics for a while. And then so I've gone back through um, and picked up like Cataclysm and Aftershock single issues. But I decided there were so many other than the Robin books. I'm trying to complete all those. But I'm just buying the new trades and that. Um but uh, one that I really liked that I was in right from the get go was War Games. Um, yeah. Where the, you know you had a Batman, Detective, uh, Nightwing, and Robin and Catwoman and Azra. You know there were so many books going on at that time that I thought was pretty cool. And it was kind of like a weekly series, which is going to kind of lead into uh, what Terrence and I are doing also on the Batman uh, universe that we are. Uh, doing Batman and Robin Eternal podcast with a, a guy that's helping us. His name's Luke. And uh, there was a question in the email uh, that we had from Derek. Um, do you have the email up, Terrence, or do you want me to uh, read this? Um, was it an email or was it on the uh, comments page? It was on the comments page. All right, yeah. I, I've got the comments page okay. up, so I can read that. Dear friend, I like to start my notes to you as if we're already in the middle of a conversation. I pretend that we're the oldest and dearest friends as opposed to what we actually are, people who don't know each other's names, and met in a chat room where we both claimed we'd never been before. Uh, Derek said, this is the first episode of the podcast I listened to, and that radio drama kicks ass, exclamation point. (laughs) All right. Uh, I need to get it. uh, I need to get it now. And then he kind of... has the next part. He says, do you guys like how Tim Drake is treated in the new 52? Batman Beyond is all right in the DCU push, but wouldn't mind your opinion on DC's coverage of Tim Drake on new 52, uh, uh, unless it's covered in an earlier podcast episode, which I don't think it's too much, but I I think the things you did, we could go over. Um, and, uh, if we keep going in this timeline, we'll get to him in the new 52, I guess like somewhere in the 2030s maybe or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. so just, just stay tuned, Derek. Just, you know, <laughs> give us 10, 15 years. We'll get there. Uh, no. Um, but um, if, if you want, I'll go first. Cause mine's quick. Uh, I, I haven't really been reading a lot of new 52 uh, 
I'm kind of hopping back on the bandwagon for Batman and Robin Eternal. Um, and so far in the first three issues, I kind of like everything about Tim except for his cape, which I don't even know if you can call it a cape. I, I just, I've just not the, the red Robin feathers or what, whatever it is that, that just does not uh, <laughs> gel with me. But, uh, I like the rest of his suit pretty good. As far as his characterization, um, it seems like they're making him, they're playing on his intelligence a little more. And on the one hand, I kind of like it because they're giving him a little more self-confidence, uh, but it almost borders on arrogance. So that's kind of a fine line. So I, I'm kind of a, kind of wait and see how um, how it will all play out. But I do like that they're trying to make each of the Robins their own man or their own person, and at their, each one's a little bit different. Uh, I think they're pretty successful on making Jason Todd very different, mm-hmm. but it's kind of a little hard sometimes to make um, Dick and Tim at that different. Uh, so, um, but you know, so far. Um, I, I, I'd hope that maybe out of this, his own book, you know, comes out of it. That mm-hmm. would be pretty cool. Um, but what do you think of him in the New 52? Um, to I have talked about this. I don't know if I really got into what I thought because it was a solo episode for me. But episode 16, I covered um, Tim in the New 52, and it was the basically the origin. Once we got out of the origin of Tim Drake in this podcast, uh, for episode 16, I talked about the origin of... Uh, Tim Drake in the New 52. It took me a while to warm up to the New 52 costume. I like it. Um, Depending on who the artist is, uh, they will have Tim's cape or glider wings be able to retract uh, up into his, like, housing department, his backpack, or his jetpack, basically. So uh, some people will draw him without a cape or with a cape, or um, it'll kind of move. Um, I think it's a really busy costume. Um, I would like to see an amalgamation of the classic Red Robin costume and the new 52. Basically, in one, uh, I want the updated Red Robin costume where the tunic was gone, um, I think it was in, I forget what issue it was in the Red Robin series where Alfred kind of altered the costume a little bit. So the tunic part was gone. It was more of like a, a giant onesie, I guess, but it was still, you know, the red and black traditional. But I would leave Tim in the domino mask. I think the cowl is, is cool, but, um, I still like to see Tim in the domino mask that you can look at him and go, yeah, that's, he, he's still, you know, Robin. He's still younger. Um, sometimes with the cowl, he's drawn too much like Batman, where he starts to look older than 16 or 17 years old. Um, yeah, the New 52 has been weird for Tim. I think he's probably the one character that's had a real kind of lobotomy um, of who he is and who he was. Um, you know, in the old continuity, his father was the only one that was alive for a while. And then... Um, eventually Captain Boomerang's was it Captain Boomerang's son kills him um, yeah. towards the end yeah. of that. Um, in the new 52, Tim's parents are in the witness protection program. Uh, Tim tries to steal money uh, from, he's trying to be Batman's partner. He still knows who, um, who Batman is, knows who Dick Grayson is. Um, actually, he doesn't know who Dick Grayson and Jason Todd were. He just knows that something happened to a Robin and there's not a Robin around. So he's trying to, uh, vie for the the partnership and batman is still telling him you know no i don't want you to do this so he figures that well if i can't make batman take me on as a partner i'm gonna have to do it myself so he steals money from the cobble pots and then 
uh, or the Cobblepots from the Penguin. The penguin tracks down Tim's IP address to his house and shoots up the place. So Tim has to, or Bruce has to take Tim uh, in as a ward, and uh, his parents are witness protection. So right now in the new Fifty Two or the the new era, Tim's parents are very much alive, both both mother and father. So they uh, expedited Tim's training and making him a gymnast that he ha- already has this training skill set that uh, he's like on the parallel bars and all this other stuff. So he, they kind of sped up everybody's timeline a little bit. Like we don't have to go into this huge training thing. Tim's already pretty much rainy or ready, <laughs> rainy already pretty much ready uh, to go. Um, just like you said, they kind of made him, it, Tim was always the smart Robin, but they kind of amped that up and, and is more of a know-it-all, I guess. And he kind of comes off a little cocky sometimes, um, and that was in the early part of the new 52, and I didn't really care for that too much. But in the last couple of years, they've kind of toned that down that he is still very smart, but it, he doesn't have that cockiness um, that he once had in the new 52. Um, I think it's a real disservice to Tim that he doesn't have an ongoing series. And some people will say, well, the Teen Titans book is Tim's ongoing series. I'm like, no, it's not. I mean, I've said numerous times on the podcast in the opening that, you know, the Robin series won 183 issues. And if you tack on 26 more for the Red Robin series, I mean, that's over 200 issues. If I'm doing my math right in my head, (laughs) that's 200 issues basically of, of Tim Drake Robin, which I mean, look how many times the flash series has gone through different volumes. I mean, there was one volume of Robin and it's for one character all the way through. So I, I don't know where the, it's almost like DC is afraid to put Tim Drake in, in his own book. I mean, especially with Stephanie Brown being back in, you could do like a, a, a team, a team red Robin. I think I even said in our Batman and Robin eternal podcast that, uh, an idea for a book I had would be to call it red and blue, red and blue, man, I can't talk today. Red and blue, <laughs> you know, have red Robin and Bluebird and throw in Stephanie Brown and now Cassandra Kane. You'd have, you know, Tim and three girls, <laughs> you know, yeah, or, that, or, that would be a good title for the book. Tim and three girls, <laughs> Tim and three girls. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think Tim is being written better. I'm no, I'm going on long about this, but, um, you know, I, doing these older issues still makes me go, this is the Robin I fell in love with. And I think sometimes it's, it's Tim Drake, but it doesn't feel like Tim Drake. So I'm, I'm okay with it. There's just, I think it's taken somebody like uh Tinian or Tynan right now. He's, he's a fan of the classic Tim Drake. And you can kind of tell that in Batman eternal that he's trying to bring some of the original Tim Drake back. So um, yeah, that's that's my long ramble for what I think about Tim Drake in the hey, and I'd, um, Piggyback on that too is that you know if you look at um, the books that Tim Drake was in, they were not canceled due to low sales. They were actually selling fairly well. Um, always, I you know I believe the Robin um, wasn't Robin canceled because of the R.I.P. and and um, no. They oh. they redid everything and made him Red Robin, and then yeah. the Red Robin was canceled because of the the new Fifty Two reboot. Uh, so it wasn't like oh these books aren't selling, let's get rid of them. It was you know oh we'll we'll, we'll take Tim and um like for the new Fifty Two, low let's have Red Robin be the cornerstone of Teen Titans, and you know the hit the Robin series was all because I guess Damian Wayne was coming and right. they wanted to um. 
change them to Red Robin and all that. And the Batman and Robin comic came out. So, you know, I mean, if you consider, I mean, if you just consider a, a comic book with Robin in it, it's kind of been going nonstop since, you know, it, it, from Nightfall, if you just take the Robin series and then the Batman and Robin series and then, you know, Red Robin and all that. So, I mean, sales wise, Tim deserves his own book. Oh yeah. Like, yeah, that's probably, I had never thought of it that way that, it wasn't due to low sales. It's like, hey, we have an event, so we're shifting the character. And that was the cool thing that I had been following Tim Drake for so long when he gets to be Red Robin. It was kind of like he went through elementary school, went through junior high and high school. He graduated, went to college, and now he's an adult and his job is Red Robin. If I kind of thought of it that way, that he got to graduate like uh, Dick did. Dick became his own person. And I still liked um, in the Grant Morrison where Dick looks at Tim and says, you know, we're we're equals. Uh, kind of back when Dick first became Batman, Tim was still very new at being Robin. But at the Grant Morrison point, Dick was the biggest compliment he could pay Tim was, we're both the same, so you being my partner doesn't work anymore. We're equals. And I liked it that Tim was like, well, I'm still going to be Robin. I'll just, I'll just be a red one, and I'll be a rogue one. And I I still like the fact that everybody else had given up on Batman except Tim. Tim was like, I know he's still out there, even which was kind of sad about Dick. I never, I didn't know whether to think that Dick didn't want to believe that Bruce was dead or thought he's dead and I, I can't dwell on the fact that he could possibly be out there. Or if he had like too much on his plate, like I got this ten-year-old assassin, I got to worry about. I can't worry about um, uh, Bruce being alive, and I, I like the fact that Tim just took that upon himself, which I thought made the Red Robin series really good. That um, it was almost the flip of how it uh, started with Tim, where Tim was very much wanting to be Robin, and now he has to be Red Robin so he can prove that Batman is still around. So. I always thought that was cool. Yeah, like in the pre-52, um, Tim always had the utmost respect for Dick Grayson. It was like he idolized Dick Grayson. Like he that that was his hero, even so, even almost more so than Bruce Wayne and Batman. Uh, and then in the new 52, like that sort of that confidence, arrogance. I guess we'll we'll talk about this on the Eternal podcast. But there, in issue three, there's one time where he Tim says to Dick um, that Bluebird's been injured, and and Dick. I think put some, I don't have the issue right in front of me, but he, he, he does like some field dressing on her and, and Tim says something like, well, we need uh, better medical care than field dressing done by a circus performer. <laughs> and it came off, do you, do you remember that part? It came yeah. off like really like that. I don't, Tim wouldn't have done that. Like I get the dig and I get it. I, I get it now in the new 52, but that's a very different Tim Drake, you know, considering that, you know, Dick Grayson hasn't been in the circus since he was like nine or 10, you know, like it's not yeah. like he, he just came off the, the trapeze. Um, that little dig like that, that would have been more of a Jason Todd kind of line. Yeah, uh, totally. I've got it so, right yeah. here. Uh, guys, I hate to break up half the hour. I think Harper's going to need something better than failed, uh, and then field dressing from a former yeah circus performer, which you had that right. Um, and I, I read that and thought, Oh, it's a nice little dig, but that wouldn't have been, that would not have been Tim. Tim, no. Tim probably would have looked at that and said, well, if, if that's what you, if that's good enough, then not, that that's fine. I'm not going to question it. Yeah, Damien or Jason, I totally would have seen that. Tim, that's kind of a new angle for him. Yeah. 
But, you know, if you want to hear more of our thoughts on Batman and Robin Eternal, that'll be coming up uh, soon for us to, to record. I think we'll probably wait for one more issue to come out, so we have a nice four to talk about. But, um, like I said, this is uh, Robin Everyone Loves the Drake, and we're going to be looking at uh, part one and part two of Batman Nightfall. Um, I know we've kind of talked about Nightfall before, but since this is the actual first uh, two issues that we're going to be talking about here, um, any lead-in thoughts that you have before we uh, hit the show run and get into the fantastic radio drama um, that you had getting into the series? Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny because uh, this week was uh, Back to the Future Day, uh, and I've been watching a lot of Back to the Future, went to the movies to see it. And been watching it on DVD and a lot of behind the scenes stuff. And it's almost, it's a couple of years off. This, these came out in like 93, I think, and Back to the Future, 89. Yeah. Uh, Back to the Future Part 2, 89. So, um, you know, but it's kind of funny to start thinking like 30 years past, 30 years future, and here reading <laughs> Eternal and reading these. And um, I haven't read these two issues in probably 20 years or so. It's been, it's been a long time. So when I pulled them out, I kind of felt like, Oh, well, you know, they, they may not hold up as well. And I, I was thinking I'd, I'd even say to you something like, uh, you know, when, when these came out, when I read these when I was like 18 or 19 or, or so, I loved them. I mean, I, they were flawless to me. They were perfect. Mm-hmm. So any, any negative comments or any, um, criticism are from 40 year old me now in 2015, <laughs> not the 19 year old kid who was reading these and, and loving them. And I got to say, they hold up really, really well. I, I, I really enjoyed them. I thought they were really good. Um, any criticism on them are just kind of minor little tidbit stuff, not kind of major um, flaws. So I, I'm impressed that, you know, um, I guess, what is it, 22 years later, mm-hmm. how good and how well these these two issues still hold up. And I think the thing that surprises me as as a huge as event, I still think this is a bigger event than No Man's Land. I know No Man's Land gets us outside from the Dark Knight uh, Returns. Uh, no Man's Land is usually one of the next things that, as far as a big event book, kind of held up really well. And I always kind of felt like Nightfall never quite gets the credit it deserves because I think maybe towards the end of Nightfall they were rushing through it a little bit more because Zero Hour was coming. Batman is, was always going to be around. Batman was never going to be in danger. And even in you know these first two parts, there is something definitely wrong with Batman that we'll talk about when we get into the issues. That Tim has almost taken the lead reluctantly at some points that it was the the flip in the relationship that even as Bruce tries to put Tim at bay quite a bit, uh, Tim is constantly going, you don't look all right. Are you okay? You know, you're not yourself where before Tim never would have taken that approach with Batman, but it's like, I've got to address the white elephant in the room because you are clearly not seeing it. And this, the, you know, 17, 18 year old of me was going, this is, this is different. This is, this is something I remember thinking this is going to be something big. And I kept thinking, oh, they're surely not going to kill Batman. But every issue, I was like, I don't know how he's getting out of this. You know, it's like the 1930s, you know, Batman and Robin serials where Batman's rolling down a cliff. And it's like, oh, my gosh, how's he going to get out of it? Stay stay tuned till next week. And you're like, I got to wait a whole week. But you always secretly knew that Batman was going to be all right. Every issue, I kept thinking, oh, is this going to be the one? Because, like, you knew it was coming. You didn't want to believe it. But uh, I'm with you. I 
it's been 20 some odd years since I read these and it's, they still hold up really well. And I even was still kind of going, Oh, is he going to make it out of this? <laughs> Which, you know, I clearly know <laughs> how the story yeah. ends. Yeah. You know, and when I read these, uh, what, back in 93, um, you kind of didn't know because there, it was a big, it was a time when comics were huge and they were changing a lot of characters and a lot of characters were going through redesigns. And um, now looking back, you can see like a lot of these characters um, were, you know, temporary designs or, or just, you know, you know, they, those, they didn't last. I mean, even like uh, Barry Allen's back as the flash and Hal Jordan's back as green lantern and that, but at the time, you kind of thought like, well, is this the end of Bruce Wayne's story? And is right. John Paul Valley going to be the, you know, Batman for the next 20 or 30 years? You just didn't know. Now I think looking back and knowing, you know, John Paul Valley's only Batman for, you know, a few months in real time, it's not as like, oh my God, this is such a huge event. And then I think the other thing that hurts Nightfall is that it doesn't really have a conclusion. No, you know the conclusions in Night's Quest and Night's End, and by that time it got really watered down, and they were including a lot more books and Catwoman and uh, all kinds of like, like um, I don't even know, like quarterly books and uh, right. I'm trying to think there was a a, a, a twelve issue series, but Showcase I think it was called Showcase that, Robin, yeah. was in there at that point then. Yeah, so I think that kind of hurt it as just one story where people turn to and just say, "Oh, that's the the be all end all," because it never never has a conclusion. It, it's just like part one of a story. But to me, I, I still think it's the biggest event in Batman comics in the last you know forty years at least. Yeah, definitely. Well, with that, um, I I like doing these radio dramas. I would love to find radio dramas for every single Robin series. <laughs> You know, issue that I have. Eventually, I'll, you'll go. It'll go back to me talking and you know putting a music score behind it. Um, so we'll get into the BBC production of Batman Nightfall, the complete saga, and this will be encompassing Batman 492 and Detective Comics 659. And when we get back from that, we will discuss these two issues and what we thought about it. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the show.
All right, before we get into the radio drama, I'll give you the credits to these two issues. The cover date is early May 1993. The on-sale date is March 16th, 1993. The cover price is $1.25, and the editor is Denny O'Neill. The title for Batman 492 is crossed, eyed, and dotted dotty t's uh the page count was 22 and the writing credit goes as follows the writer is doug mensch the artist is norm brayfogel the letter is richard starling starkings the colorist is adrian roy and this has been reprinted in uh batman 492 variant that came out in 93 uh batman nightfall part one the broken bat the trade paperback in 1993 and then the new version that came out in 2012 is batman nightfall trade paperback Part one, or volume one rather, and the information on Detective Comics 659 has a cover date of early May 1993 and on sale date March 23rd, 1993. Cover price again is $1.25. The editor, of course, is Denny O'Neill. The title of this issue is Puppets. And the writer is Chuck Dixon. The artist, again, is Norm Brayfogel. The letter is Tom uh, Timothy Harkins, and the colorist is Adrian Roy. And again, the credits uh, and the reprints are exactly the same, with the exception of the variant cover. So without further ado, we'll get into the Batman Nightfall Complete Saga radio drama by done over in the BBC. Joker, ventriloquist, and Scarface. Scarecrow, Riddler. Loose in the night, running free in the dark. Most of the worst and more heavily armed, terminally dangerous. Who did this to me? Who broke them out of our... My guess is it's the guy I told you about, Batman. The one who busted up Killer Croc. Bane. And he's definitely got it in for you. Yes, the one who followed me to the Mangum Brothers hideout. Come on, Robin. We can't find the devil himself. His progeny are legion enough. The Cavalier. We had five tactical units there, Mayor Kroll, and there was a hostage situation. Why in heaven's name didn't you order your men to shoot to kill, Gordon? It doesn't work that way. My men discharge their firearms only in defense. Then we're going to end up with a lot of dead citizens, Commissioner. I'll be expecting results. Arrests. A dead or alive attitude to getting these maniacs behind bars again. Or your job's on the line. So we monitor the police band, Batman. What are we looking for? We'll know it when we hear it. That was it, I'll bet. What was? What's a haberdasheria? Usually a hat shop. Uh-huh. Let's beat the police to this. back. Our guest is Dr. Simpson Flanders, noted expert on the criminally insane. Dr. Flanders, your new book criticizes the standards of treatment for offenders serving time in Arkham Asylum. But what exactly do we do with these evil and dangerous people now loose on our streets? <laughs> evil and dangerous are emotive words, Petra. That's why I wrote my book, I'm Sane and So Are You. Uh-huh. We must reach out to these people. They're out there tonight, disoriented, alienated. Mm-hmm. Many of them sharing a terror of the excessive force used in their persecution by the Batman. Yes. Hey, it's Bird. One of our nutcases has made a move against the man. Which one? Mad Hatter. I've sent the hawk to follow him. Keep me posted. You say it's a hat shop, but where are the hats? The place has been cleaned out. Looks like the first of the major Arkham escapees has made his move. What's this? A note addressed to the Batman? Uh-huh. 
Hold on to your hats. Jervis Tetch requests the pleasure of your company at a tea party. Date? Tonight. Time. ASAP. Place. Tenniel Estate. Jervis Tetch? The Mad Hatter. And we're to be his guests of honor. We're invited to the Mad Hatter's tea party. Yes. And it's not polite to be late. Welcome, one and all. Welcome to the Mad Hatter's Tea Party. If you would be good enough to don the party hats, you'll find at your place settings, the fun will begin. What's wearing hats got to... I said put on the hats! Okay, okay, but the hats... Oh, that's better. Now it looks like a party. And as I have now refined the mind control transmitters inside your headgear to voice activation, it only remains to say hats induce trance. Can you hear me, basket cases? Perfect. Our first item of business is to be delegated to Film Freak. Are you in there, Film Freak? When you need me, just whistle, blue eyes. Yes, someone sprung us from Arkham on purpose, Film Freak. That's right, Toto. We're not in Kansas anymore. Someone wants to use us like puppets, stealing my shtick. Do you know how I know this? Oh, you know this, Kimosabe. A little bird told me. Actually, a great big bird, species of falcon, been following me around all day. Here, this is a homing tracker. The device I put on that thing's leg will give you its location. When you find out who the bird belongs to, kill him! Then we can get on with taking over the city. Okay, little britches. Saddle up and move out. Now, a spot of tea. Who'll be mother? I'd take mine without milk, Hatter. Why, it's our guest of honor. At last, we can start the party games. Hats stimulate adrenal cortexes. Robin, wait there is backup. Yeah, come here, come on. Bane, we got trouble. There's some kind of homing device on Talon's leg. Someone across the street casing this joint. Ah, it's one of the Arkham inmates. The one who calls himself Film Freak. You stay here while... <laughs> Kill him. Film Freak to Hara. Film Freak to Hara. Mm, come in, Hara. Batman! How long does the backup hold back? Till the outcome is... No, no, Batman! You won the battle, but lost the war! I'll take that gun, Hatter! Nice work. Now I'm cross! You've ruined the party! Film freak to Hatter, come in, please! This guy's got a walkie-talkie in his hat! Who busted you out of Arkham, Hatter? How should I know, Batman? Uh, Hatter, can you read me? It's Film Freak. I, I got company. It was Bane, wasn't it? Bane? It was Bane! <laughs> I'm Bane! No! Get back! Mother of mercy! Is this the end of Freako? You hear me, Hatter? Your assassin is dead! No! Just like the Batman, your garbage! Come on, Hatter. I've got bigger fish to fry. You look pretty fried yourself, Batman. A whole madhouse yet to hunt down, not to mention Bane. Who is it, Montoya? I'd say we've one less Arkham Asylum inmate to look for, Commissioner Gordon. This looks like the one they called Film Freak. Uh, no sign of an entry wound. No evidence a weapon was used, but surely nobody could have done this with their bare fists. What about this Bane guy? Wait a minute. No good. Scarecrow, Firefly, Ventriloquist. I got a potential perpetrator right here. Amygdala. Amygdala? 400 pounds of muscle. 
three brain cells. And all of them wired up wrong. Uh, Sergeant Bullock got a call through for you. Reported sighting of Arkham SKP, the uh, ventriloquist entering a downtown bar, the tap room. He may be with another one, a medial, a Amygdala? Yeah. There's a rumor Batman's car was seen heading that way. Bingo. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. Shut it! What the heck is this? My name is Ventriloquist. This is my friend Sarko. Say hello to the nice people, Sarko. Hello, people. <laughs> Look out, people. We got a weirdo in the joint. He's got a sock on his hand. <laughs> You're talking to yourself, pal. <laughs> We're looking for Scarface. Has anyone here seen him? Hey, mister, if this is a stick-up, you put the sock on your head, not in your hand. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't upset my friend, Sarko. <laughs> You're making a big mistake laughing at me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, this is my friend, the dick He's a very good guy. You're laughing at my little friend. Uh, Nobody uh, laughs at my little friend. ETA at tap room, three minutes. I'd prefer to be acting more and reacting less, Robin, but there's no rhyme or reason to any of this chaos following the Arkham Asylum breakout. Are we being followed? So you spotted the bird. That's some kind of hawk, isn't it, Batman? A falcon. There was one circling in Tornado Park earlier before Bane killed Film Freak. Either that's two in one night, or... Good observation. You follow the bird, I will keep that right to them, Bane. Batman and the boy. Robin can't be far away. You ain't kidding, pal. He's right overhead. And at this very moment, Batman's getting the beating of his life in that bar down there. Batman make amygdala so angry. Want my medicine? Take pain away! Want my medicine now! I have your medicine right here. Oh. One down, but the ventriloquist got away. Maybe Robin had more luck. All right, we are back, and uh, I think it's pretty cool to have the uh, radio drama. Uh, before the podcast, Terrence, had you ever heard of the radio drama before? Um, I had only heard of it from um, previous podcasts, um, which I, on the, there's a website that's no longer in existence where um, I first heard the Bat fans, you know, Tim and mm-hmm. uh, Dane, uh, and I believe it was played on that one, which I think that was, I can't remember now, Dark Knight something or, or, or something like that. Yeah. Um, and um, But I think they've shut down and are no longer, I know it changed hands and then they kind of shut down. Uh, so I kind of heard about it. On that, but I've never really um, listened to it all the way through. But I'm 
I'm kind of enjoying it. So you, after it's over, you don't have to create a new one. You got to get some actors and some friends. And <laughs> you, yeah. you can, of course, play Tr- Tim Drake. Of okay, course. cool. But, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the cool thing I liked about it, I was talking to a, a friend of mine uh, over in Scotland that has uh, heard this quite a bit since. You know, it's done through the BBC. So he said when he was when he when he was growing up, it was all the big thing. They could walk into their local music store and just pick it up off the shelf. I think I had to order mine from a music store, and they thought that was so weird. I was ordering this Batman book. They're like, "Is this a kids' book?" I'm like, "No, this is a, a radio drama." And I had to explain what a radio drama was, like you know, like in the 1930s, 1920s. So, um, just hearing, like, you can close your eyes and just hearing all the different sounds and hear the roar of the car or when Batman says, you know, night, night vision on, you can almost imagine his lenses turning bright green or something like that. So they really went all out. I have my work cut out for me. If I do a uh, <laughs> Tim or Robin, everyone loves the Drake <laughs> version of it. Yeah. It'll take me uh, four years to complete one episode. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, before we went into the uh, radio drama, we were talking about like the, the, the big events, um, and, you know, one thing I thought of was uh, after all the, the Night's End and Night's Quest and all that, they did the Prodigal storyline. Mm-hmm. And that one, I really enjoyed that one. That was really great. And it was almost like a precursor to the uh, Grant Morrison Batman and Robin story where Dick yeah. Grayson takes over. That would be a good audio drama. I, I would love it if they someone made that. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. And uh, like you were saying before, it was Nightfall It basically – comics in general but nightfall was just this long arcing story that really doesn't end um i think nightfall technically just goes into no man's land uh, eventually you know you have like you said in prodigal uh dick being uh, batman and tim being you know robin and then that kind of goes into um i don't know if it's legacy or something like that i think it was called um and eventually it winds its way through uh into no man's land and cataclysm and all that type of stuff um so it's always hard in comics to go okay this is a definitive end of a story um i think we started getting more of those when you would have like hush you know it, it was in the series of the batman stories coming in but hush was a contained story all you needed was you could take those books out of your collection it's not like you were missing a a, a larger piece of the puzzle it was its own thing so um, I, I could see the, the shortcomings of nightfall in telling such a long story because there's even references to nightfall in no man's land that or in prodigal um bruce was setting up all of these satellite bat caves while dick was batman and you don't get that until uh no man's land that that's what bruce was doing you know the main bat cave is destroyed but hey while you were batman i was doing all this other stuff so if you go back and start reading that prodigal you kind of can see where those seeds are getting planted yeah and i'm just i pulled this up and looking like nightfall at the beginning broken bat it, it basically just goes batman detective batman detective batman detective um and then uh, when, it, when they get to Who Rules the Night, there's a shadow of the bat thrown in there. So it's pretty contained in those two books. But then after um, that, you get um, – it also goes over and is in Batman Detective. It's in Shadow of the Bat. It's in Showcase 93. It's in um, Catwoman. It's in Robin. It's – where else? It's in um, Night's Quest, The Searches, and Justice League Task, Task Force. Force. Yep. 
um, Legends of the Dark Knight, it, it crosses over into. Um, so there, it, it got really watered down. There were a lot of books. But then when they go back to Prodigal, it's Batman, Shadow of the Bat, Detectives, and Robin. Um, and so those are Robin's issue 11, 12, and 13. And I, I still think Prodigal is one of my all-time favorite uh, comic book storylines. So that'll be fun when we get to, to those issues. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think I've said it before that the Robin title, even though Tim's got his own series, it is still very much anchored in uh, the Batman storyline. It was almost like, okay, we're going to give Tim his own series but we're not going to totally let tim go off on his own adventure we're always going to keep him tied in so i i liked how they did it there may be a story in detective that's like okay we'll tie this in with robin then there's a story in batman we'll tie this in with robin so uh, robin for probably a good 20 to 30 issues was just kind of weaving his way back through um all the books but i did like it that you would get it from tim's perspective if batman said hey i need you to go down the street and go do some surveillance that next issue would be tim in fact doing surveillance so i always thought that was uh was pretty neat yeah me too because it it, you've seen it in other issue uh, other titles or other um tv shows and things where it's like oh hey this guy's getting his his solo and we're going to move him to a different city and he's going to have all new different things and um you know they could have easily said all right well robin you you know, Tim's going to college at Coast City University and, and be completely out of that whole Gotham um, realm. But they kept him very grounded in it and, and did that really well. Um, we'll get into uh, Batman 492. Um, I like I thought this was a Kelly Jones. Is it a Kelly Jones cover? Yes. Yes. Yes, it is. I think this is one of the more normal covers for Kelly Jones, but I think. After a while, the covers will just get more exaggerated and more exaggerated um, as they go. Um, I've always liked this cover. Um, I just remember thinking this would be a good a wall poster or you know or something like that. I love just the ripples and the texture in the uh, cape for Batman. And you know, all you can really see of Batman is an arm and a leg, and well, the other arm at the top. But he's just kind of engulfed into his cape. I always thought that was pretty cool. And the Mad Hatter looks crazy. Um, what'd you think of the cover? Yeah, great cover. And, um, I had never heard of, um, Kelly Jones's art before this. And I, I think he was pretty new. Uh, and even though it's very stylized and very, um, unrealistic as it, as you know, the nightfall issues go on, I love it for covers because covers <laughs> don't have to be realistic. It's just to set the mood and the tone and make you want to buy the book. Um, and um i i loved it i loved it and i love the how the um background is just bright red like that's a cool coloring choice uh yeah. it's, it makes it really different and since this is issue one of the nightfall saga this was up on the wall in every comic book store and i'd go in every week and see what the price was and um see where uh you know my investments were, were going <laughs> which you know at yeah. one point, then they started going the other way. But, um, yeah, no, great cover. Um, I wanted to ask about the villains in this. This was probably, uh, for reading Batman comics as much as I had, this was a crash course. Before Nightfall, I I would have thought in my you know young adolescent days that I could have named every single Batman villain that ever was, and I knew everything, and getting into Nightfall... There were so many more villains of Batman that I 
ever thought I knew. For every one Batman villain that I could name, there were at least four more that, that I didn't know, like Zaz. And in the, I would say not the first page, but the first big splash page of Batman and Robin, where it says, uh, crossed eyed, uh, duty, it was a duty T, T's. <laughs> um, you know, you see Tweedledum and Tweedledee and the Ventriloquist, Joker, Two-Face, Mad Hatter, Film Freak. Uh, that was one I had never heard of before. Zaz, that was the first time I'd ever heard of him. Um, you see Scarecrow. I think the Black Mask is shown um, there just above Batman's fist, but he's never in the story as far as I can remember. Uh, Destiny's down in the bottom. Uh, did you know a lot of the villains uh, in Nightfall before this, or was this kind of new for you as well? Well... Um, I, I, I had been reading the, the comic for, let's see, for, for about four years and gone through some back issues. So I probably knew them a little bit better than the casual fan, but there were definitely some that I did not know. Cornelius Sturk, I still don't really know. <laughs> um, yeah. And, um, I think I had read something with Maxi Zeus and, and stuff, but they were, they were, a lot of them were uh, characters that were kind of mentioned in only a couple of issues, so I didn't really know them. I do believe if you look at Batman's fist, um, that's the writer there, Doug Monch. Yeah. <laughs> he inserted himself, so I hadn't read any uh, issues with him as the villain. But I do remember um, very clearly opening this comic and seeing this um, you know, full spread page on on page two and just being like blown away by it. Like, wow, look at all these villains. And and then thinking like we're going to get a story with each of them and, and we're going to, you know, I honestly think I, I kind of missed Film Freak right there because with all the, you know, Joker and Poison Ivy and Killer yeah. Rock, it's kind of. Um, but um, but yeah, I, I remember seeing this and be like, oh, because I, you know, I knew Nightfall was going to be this like 13 or 15 part storyline. So I was kind of thinking, like, wow, this is, you know, this is going to be good. It is going to be good. And I like. You know, and I kind of knew this too that you're not going to start off issue one with the Joker. No. You know, you're going to build up to it. And I thought, even though I'm not a huge fan of the Mad Hatter, I, I don't particularly think he's a great villain. Um, even in the Batman animated series, no. I didn't think his thing was that he's just a creepy stalker. Um, <laughs> you know, like just yeah, he's not sympathetic at all. They tried a little bit, but he's not. He's a ripoff from Allison in Wonderland. He's he's one of Batman's weaker characters uh, or villains. I'm sure if we did like a podcast with a bunch of Batman fans and said, "Our right, Batman's best villains," Mad Hatter's name probably wouldn't even come up in the discussion. You know, so. No. But for this, for a one shot. Um, it's not bad, and you kind of know you're going to start off with the appetizer, not you know the main course. Here. <laughs> so um, overall, I thought he, even though he's not my favorite, I thought he was a good choice for issue um, one. Plus, he's he's even though I don't really like him, he is intelligent. So when he's trying to figure out, like he's not just hey, I'm free, let's go rob a jewelry store. He's like hey, I'm free, but someone freed us, and let me find out who it is. Let me um, try to you know, uh, uncover this puzzle a little bit that he's a good choice for that. Yeah. And, uh, that he's smart enough to know that there's a bird following them. So he has his monkey, which I thought was, I had to go back through, um, my long boxes and go, did he have a monkey before? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Arkham must be right next to the Gotham uh, <laughs> City Zoo. Yeah. So it was like, as I'm breaking free, everybody's going that direction. I'm going to break through the City Zoo wall, and I hear this <laughs> yeah. monkey. I'm going to take the monkey, uh, which I thought was uh, interesting. Um, 
And I think if I've done my homework right, I think these two issues might be the last two Norm Bray Fogel Batman issues. Um, I think I'm correct in saying that because I think everything else um, is Graham Nolan and uh, Jim Ballant, I think, will uh, handle everything out uh, for quite a while. And Jim Parr will come back every now and then. So being a real big um, Norm Brayfogle fan, um, I thought this was a, a good way to kind of go uh, out on. Um, I love his uh, Tim Drake. It's still one of my favorites. And just the way that he draws Batman and Robin's cape, they it's abnormal. They don't move that way, but it's just so darn cool <laughs> to look yeah. at while, while they're standing there. I have think as much as this is new for maybe some new people that were just getting into Nightfall, uh, you're looking through uh, certain parts of Nightfall through Tim's eyes. There's a bunch of villains that we, the reader, may not know, but these are some new villains that uh, Tim has never come across uh, ever with Batman or just in general by himself outside of the Joker and Two-Face and the Riddler that there's a whole bunch here that um, I like the exposition uh, between Batman and Robin that uh, what Bruce is telling Tim about some of these, and he's still not telling Tim very much at the same time either. Yeah. You know, this page three is kind of like the, the only criticism I'd have of this book um, is just, it's, it's a little wordy Batman and Robin in the cave. Yeah. But you know, it's kind of, this is the setup for, um, explaining all those pre-nightfall issues to people who haven't picked it up um so um you know it is what it is i i almost prefer like marvel how they have that page in the front that you know recaps everything as opposed to this sort of little clunky dialogue um in the bat cave but you know it's only two panels and um it's kind of a cool wide shot with the the batmobile in shadow and everything like that so i i can forgive it and yeah. and, and i know what it is it's not like the climax or anything like that so you know is what it is move on i thought it was kind of cool to jump right into um the chimpanzee stealing the bird and then putting a tracker on it i thought that, that was really clever that was cool um i like the shots that we'll see on page four uh we see with the Mad Hatter coming up to the haberdashery, uh, shooting it up, and then, you know, uh, driving away. Later on, on page seven, uh, Batman and Robin show up at the, it's the same panel, same layout, and then you have the bottom of page seven, the, uh, police car showing up. So I, I liked when they did, uh, things like that, that, you know, here's the perspective from this person, and then, you know, ten minutes later, you get the same perspective from somebody else. I always liked those little nods that they would put there. Um, yeah, that's cool. Hey, and you've got the paper version too. Yes. Um, and this might not be the time for it, maybe at the end, but just in between pages four and five, there's an advertisement, <laughs> and it's and this is why, like, when when I, like I walk around now, and you know, forget the hoverboards from the future and the flying cars, just living in a future where like. Everyone's walking around in like a Captain America shirt and comic books and there's these movies and, you know, like I, I see these kids like boys, girls, young, old, like they're all wearing like comic book stuff and Deadpool and Batman. I'm like, this is awesome because this is why I was like afraid to like <laughs> wear a Batman shirt to school and be made fun of because if you look at these ads, there's one for Burt Reynolds in Cop and a Half. <laughs> 
Right. And, I and knew you next, were going to say that. <laughs> yeah. And then the next page is this like Rocky D dinosaur. Like it's, it's, it's like written for like five year olds about to eat these new fruit candies. And like whoever put these ads in here, like this is the mentality that they thought well, who read comics. And this is like people in school. Like when I was in high school and stuff, if you said Batman or comics, it was like something for little children. It'd be like, Oh, you read, you, you like Batman and do you still wear a diaper and do you still have a pacifier? <laughs> like it wasn't, it was thought of by most people as something for, you know, they, they knew the super friends. It was something for little children. It was something for babies. You wouldn't, you know, say, you know, I wet the bed and I'm afraid of the dark and I like Batman, you know? And so now like, to be live in this world where people realize like how cool this stuff is and you know like that it's not for children it's not for babies it's it's you know great gr- storytelling it's like you can keep the hoverboards and and the flying cars <laughs> I, i'm i'm happy with this future it's pretty awesome well and just to piggyback off what you said like the ads are written for somebody that's younger and the story is totally not written for the six or seven or eight year old that they think oh the you know the eight year old that's going to go to the grocery store with mom that wants this uh, brock's rocks candy uh yeah if his mother knew he was reading uh this mature batman store she probably would have flipped out you know uh, yeah there's some definite themes in here um and half the time they don't even allude to it you kind of you see the stuff that's going on um, you know, Batman getting broken and bleeding and, you know, all that type of stuff. So uh, I was the same way. Like when the 89 movie came out, it was like, okay, I think for a few months I can get away wearing my Batman t-shirt and I'll, I'll be okay. You know, that going into the school that summer, be like, Oh, did you see Batman? Oh yeah. But after a couple months, it's like, you're still wearing that Batman t-shirt and I'd be like, Oh, Oh yeah. My, well, my mom didn't do laundry. So I, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I, just, I had to wear this thing, you know, but now I see my, you know, nephews in Batman tees and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, well, you're young enough. And people that I work with that are in their, you know, 40s, 50s, and 60s even are wearing a Batman t-shirt. And they'll come up and say, hey, I saw you had a uh, a Batman t-shirt on the other day. Look look what I got. I got one too. It's like there, it's this pride thing that to be like, I'm a Batman fan too. And I'm like, yeah. You probably threatened to put me in a locker in high school for wearing it, and now you're patting me on the back for it. So <laughs> yeah, I know it's it, and people don't realize like now in in uh, whatever you want to call it, the teens, I guess, or I never know what to call our time, but like <laughs> kids are a lot more open to like wearing different things, and kids will wear things that are like juvenile to be ironic or and stuff, you know, and they'll wear wear things. You know, there's a lot more just printed graphic T-shirts out mm-hmm. there, but. Back in the 80s and even the early 90s, it was a lot more of like, oh, you got to have this shirt or the jeans have to be these or yep. you got to have that polo shirt with the alligator. If it doesn't have the little alligator, <laughs> then people are and, – and kids were a lot crueler and a lot meaner about like clothing and styles and brands and, you know, oh, how could you not have a Coca-Cola sweater? You know, like there, there were certain things that became popular that like every kid had to have and I was kind of not in that click as much but there were mm. some like r- other clicks in my high school and stuff where it was like you had to have everything just right or like they were gonna <laughs> you know you were gonna hear about it uh i was a little more in like the uh you know uh wearing like a kiss t-shirt kind of click and you know like yeah. like that but still it was like you know um it was kind of different so seeing these ads it's kind of funny because i know like that's that's who they thought comic readers were and these issues um 
are kind of more of the mainstream Batman. You know, Legends of the Dark Knight was like much darker, and there were some other books out there in the Vertigo series which were much darker and much more mature. And I mean, <laughs> can you imagine this two, uh, two and a half cop, you know, like some some mom who took her kids <laughs> to see what is it? Yeah, two and a half cop. Oh, cop and a half. I'm sorry, yeah. and um, I'm getting confused with two and a half men. <laughs> and uh, I bought him some Rocky D dinosaur treats. Um, and then bought her like, oh yeah, here's a the Batman: The Dark Knight Returns. You like Batman? That's for kids, you know? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to see even who uh, this kid is. Um, this Ray Sharkey, maybe that's the kid's name. I don't know if you know. Who yeah, the I don't kid know. is. I don't know if he did anything else after that, but I, I sadly probably even saw Cop and a Half. I'm sure my <laughs> yeah. grandmother probably took me to it. <laughs> Oh, the joys of uh, 90s comics. Um, yeah. So anyway, back to Batman. <laughs> yeah, sorry to uh, sidetrack you. No, no, I, I I, firmly knew that we were going to have to go through some of these. And I've got a, a question when we get to another ad here. So as we come through the ad, we'll just we'll tackle them um, as they come. Um, I'm only pointing out this panel because... Um, Norm Brayfogle's long Batman ears on five. I don't know what it was at the time. Uh, I always thought that was cool, but very impractical <laughs> for Batman. That The ears are long enough that they go up above the panel. <laughs> yeah, up above. And, and I'm I, a fan of the big ears. I like the big ears much more than the small ones. Yeah. Uh, but I do like that when comics did that, that you would have um, – not only does the story hold up, but I think the art still holds up really well, that you have a panel inside a panel or you have the art from one panel uh, going out of the panel borders into the panel above or below or through a panel. Um, just like on 7 when Batman and Robin show up um, at the haberdashery, uh, the woo, you know, of the police siren is going through um, the one, two, three. Uh, panels on the bottom of seven. I always thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, Bryfogle does a lot of like Batman swinging through a panel or swinging into or out of a panel and stuff um, in his art. I always like that as well. Um, this was also my first introduction that I can remember to Renee Montoya. Um, I know she was probably in some earlier ones that we covered, but it wasn't until Nightfall that I'm like that I started really liking uh, Renee Montoya. So um, was this an early introduction for Renee too, or was she somebody that you were aware of ahead of time? I can't remember. I feel like the first time I was aware of her was in the animated series, but I don't know if this is before or after her introduction into that. Um, But um, it's 93. So animated series was in 92. So she would have been um, in the animated series already at this point. Okay. But I did, I did like her as a character, and I, I loved her in um, the weekly series Fifty Two. Uh, that's another one of my favorite series. So I, I'm glad that she didn't, she wasn't just a um, background character in the DC universe. Although, is she part of the new Fifty Two? I don't really think I've seen her much in the new Fifty Two. Um, I think she's only had just small little um, blurbs, maybe an issue or two here or there. But I don't think she has had a real prominent uh, role yet, much in the new Fifty Two. And she was in the first couple uh, episodes of Gotham, and then um, then they kind of dropped her. And I haven't really seen her in the – I haven't seen all of season two, but I don't think she's been in season two. So I don't know if they'll bring her back you know, in, in later seasons or if she – you know, they've, they're going in a different way. But I did kind of when – I, when I saw Gotham in the beginning and saw her, I was like, oh, this is cool. They'll, they'll have her in it. But yeah. it's not – yeah. Right. Um, 
I you were talking about the Mad Hatter. I think this is always a problem I had with the Mad Hatter. Um, rather than you know being Alice in Wonderland, it was just all of the hats. I like in the '66 TV series, you know, he was a hat collector, and the one hat he didn't have in his collection was Batman's cowl. Um, I I just never really thought the Mad Hatter works really well um, in comic form. I gave him more of a pass in the animated series, but like you said, it was more of a creepy stalker that you just want to throw in jail for being a creepoid, you know, <laughs> than, yeah. than anything else. Um, I think we have our first appearance of, um, oh, what is the guy's name here? The You're All Right and I'm Okay Too, uh, that wrote a book on um, the criminally insane uh, that will have a nice uh, little subplot going on where he's constantly on the TV shows. I think it's funny that Bane is watching uh, this <laughs> as well. It's just panels of him with his finger up to his mouth, like, hmm, this is an interesting show. Like, he's not doing, like, anything really <laughs> other than, all right, I've helped everybody escape Arkham. Now I'm just going to sit here and catch up on some TV. I thought this was an odd choice for Bane. Like, he's not overseeing something, he's just watching TV. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, and we've seen this before. He's just chilling out with a cup of tea or coffee. You're watching it. But I think a lot of this comes from uh, Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, where there's a lot of exposition by newscaster. And I think um, this isn't used as much because nobody uses it as much in that issue. (laughs) I I have a hard time when I go back and read that. I have a hard time reading all that. I kind of skip through a lot of the the newscaster stuff and get right to the the fight scenes because, I mean, they are the greatest fight scenes in comics. But the the newscaster stuff gets a little – long in the tooth but um it, it's a quick and easy way to kind of just give a window on sort of what's going on and what um and what's going on with the people of gotham and how gotham's reacting to it so i don't mind it um and uh, i believe if you if you go to um detective comics um 659 on page six um they have just to jump ahead a little bit here. They have a little bit, and she says our uh, guest is Doctor Simpson Flanders. Flanders, yeah, yeah. Which, gee, where did he ever come up with that name, Simpson Flanders? <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> His book is "I'm Sane and So Are You." Um, yeah, I like that in the radio drama. Of course, we're recording this now, so I haven't edited it in there. Um, but when that part comes up, I always think it's really funny because he kind of talks like this, you know. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying, especially when we get to the Riddler. Uh, section. Uh, the person that's doing the voice for Flanders, I think, is really kind of funny. Uh, the tea party um, is really chaotic. I read this twice before uh, going on to the uh, podcast and trying to figure out what in the world is going on. Like, where are these people coming from? Are these his henchmen that he has, or? Is there a transmitter? The transmitters are supposed to be in the hats. So where are these people coming from? Like they're just coming in off the street on their own free will? Uh, I believe they're, they're the henchmen. This is uh, one other little criticism I would say is they give either the Mad Hatter is also the Flash and can do all this stuff really fast <laughs> or the timeline. And he does a lot in one night because when they come, um, he says that he gave them notes to come. Because uh, one of the guys says, um, uh, I can't find it right now, but he basically says like, hey, uh, 
Oh, when you invited us to your party after the breakout, you said we could kill the Batman. So where is he? And what's, and what's wearing hats got to do with it? So I think Mad Hatter somehow contacted them, probably with notes, because he left a note before for them to come here. Uh, so I think they're other inmates of Arkham. So somehow Mad Hatter was able to find all these other inmates or henchmen and get them. There's one, two, three, there's six of them. And then he says, uh, something about like, well, you know, Joker and two, oh, too bad, Joker, two face, scarecrow, and the others failed to accept my invitation. So not only did he give invitations to these six, but also to Joker, two face, scarecrow, and, and some others. And he was able to fix the hats. So maybe he had the hats. Well, he stole the hats, but maybe the, um, technology inside the hats he had like hidden at a um like a, a secret base or, so, or something like a secret hideout so he was able to just collect that but even if he didn't have to create the technology and put it together and set it up make it he still had to get it put it in the hats get the hats get the invitations set up the tea party set it all up <laughs> um and then invite batman there which um that's a lot since the breakout but you know it is comics and i can forgive that but but this is my I, the thing I don't really like about the Mad Hatter is he's just – he's not original. He's just taken right out of Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Even the thing with the tea party and everything, like it's not – it's like – it's just like if they introduced the new Batman character, Venom, or you know, or <laughs> Captain Jack Sparrow or something. <laughs> like it's just – it's just not you know, original and considering how many original um, – amazing unique villains batman has he just in comparison just does not hold up like even the joker i know the joker came from like its old silent film the man who laughed and all that but but they've added to him and 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 made him unique and added you know so much so that's just the inspiration where mad hatter you can't say oh the inspiration's alice in wonderland and they added like everything's alice in wonderland with this guy pretty much yeah there's no depth to the character it's like the character is only whatever Alice in Wonderland is, and in some stories, and even in the Arkham video games when you have to fight the Mad Hatter, it's always the constant reference of, okay, some girl's missing, uh, and it's a version of her name is Alice, or her mother's name is Alice. You know, It's always that motif, so right away you're like, oh, it's the Mad Hatter. You know, they're, yeah. they're in a park, and what are all these tables set up for? And why is there tea? Oh, it's the Mad Hatter. There was no development. Like, it would have been cool if that's how the Mad Hatter started. And then because of whatever circumstances, he grew into this other thing that his name just happens to be the Mad Hatter. So it was one of those, like you said, if I saw it on the animated series or if it was Batman and Robin fight the Mad Hatter, I'd been like, eh. All right, I'll get it, but I wouldn't read it right away, and I was like, eh, man, I probably shouldn't have got it. <laughs> yeah, and I know they tried. I, I know I, we were doing the pod, other podcast, Bat Fans, when um, they had the, the the new Fifty Two Dark Knight comic um, mm-hmm. issues with Mad Hatter, and there was like a lot of drug stuff, and uh, it got really dark, and uh, you know he was really brutal and stuff, and. I felt like that. I actually prefer the Nightfall kind of cartoony, comic booky, you yeah. know, uh, Mad Hatter more so than this like uh, the really dark drug version that they went with um, in Dark Knight comic. But um, either one, it just it falls short. But for the first villain, it's actually a good first villain. You yeah, know. let's get him out of the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we'll kind of go through this here uh, a little quick. Um, I do want to point out we've got the uh, – on the top of page 13, we've got Batman and Robin arriving at the zoo. I believe it's the zoo here. Um, 
where they've jumped over the fence and you can see Batman's very shaky that the panel, the third panel on 13 where Batman looks like, Oh, I'm fine. It drove him, drew him yeah. real uh, pathetic. Like, which I, I don't know entirely if Batman would have looked like that. I think he would have had a much more of a poker face, but I think it's more for us, the reader of like, look at the condition that Batman's in. And he has like the old lady, witch hand out, you know, <laughs> yeah. all drawn and shaky. But, uh, this has got a, this has got to worry Tim. You know, this is your mentor. It's trained you, you know, for the last probably a couple of years, and he's not able to get in and out of the car very well or jump over a fence. Uh, I got to think if you're Tim, you probably are starting to wonder. Well, I think my time as Robin's done because uh, Batman's going to get himself killed here. <laughs> yeah, and uh, just to clarify, there jumping over the um, uh, public gardens. Yes, that's and then. Right. The reason why that's where the tea party is because there was a Alice in Wonderland connection to the artist who drew it. But um, I wonder because they say it's closed for the season and the, the tree has no leaves on it. So I'm wondering, like, were they consistent with nightfall taking place in like winter time, or if you know, I, I can't remember now. I don't know if I'll turn to issue seven or something and it'll be you know a summer day and then issue 12 will be like snow or something but um uh that i, I remember reading that and thinking oh gee i wonder if, if they're going to keep that consistent with the season um i like that uh about said the riddler the mad hatter sends out film freak um i was really more even thinking back when i first read it i found film freak very interesting and i found him even more interesting uh, listening to the radio drama and hearing like film freak, it just it didn't translate really well on paper. But hearing the audio uh, adaption and hearing the character of film freak come alive, I thought that was really cool. But uh, it's one of those Batman villains that meets his demise rather quickly uh, here at the hands of Bane, uh, which I I I like what they did with Bane over the course of the story as uh, the brutality and the sheer energy and power that Bane had that uh, every person that Bane would come in contact with would either have a broken arm or a leg or would wind up killed that it was almost like this is the calling card for Batman. Like I am slowly coming for you. I'm like, I'm, here's another, here's what I did to this person. Imagine the thing that I'm going to do to you. So that made, at least for me, Bane feel even more uh, terrifying. Um, what do you think about just the, the, the feeling of Bane as, as we're going through the series? Yeah, you know, from what I remembered of Bane from the series, that he was very terrifying and very menacing. And, um, as we were reading, rereading, I should say, for this podcast, the the prequels to um, uh, or the uh, to Nightfall, I wasn't getting that sense from him. I was kind of yeah. more like, you know, it's the other guys who are coming up with the plan, and he's doing a lot of TV watching. And <laughs> this issue, and then the other, next issue, we'll talk about um, Detective um, Six Fifty Nine. That that he was very menacing in these. That when I was reading him, like, okay, this is the bane I remember. This is the bane that is, you know, uh, I was thinking, oh my gosh, how is Batman in his weak condition going to face this guy? Um, and that he is just, you know, different than all the other um, Batman villains because the one thing he has is patience. You know, like Mad Hatter here has no patience. Like he's out of Arkham for a day. He's already trying to set up a, a trap for Batman. Where Bane has that patience to just wait till Batman's at his weakest, and you know it'll be on his terms. Um, 
And it's almost it kind of reminds me a little bit of the shark from Jaws because, you know, you, you only see little glimpses of it here and there. It's not there all the time, but it's very menacing. You get that music coming in. You know, if, if this was a movie, you know, Bane would have like some kind of <laughs> Jaws shark theme music in the background, you know, and uh, he's just kind of there present. And then when he on page 15, when he pumps up the venom, like that's that's a that's a really cool artwork. That's really kind of scary and intimidating on his, with the veins popping out and um and he's like well i kill him not like i'm gonna beat him up and take i'm, I'm gonna kill him and then he goes and does kill him yeah. which you know for a comic in the 93 i know there was you know um there are definitely comics out there with a lot of killing and if you read punisher or something like that you know one death in this book is nothing but for batman at the time um you know that was pretty like wow this is taking it to the next level for batman you know <laughs> you're definitely not going to see this a cop and a half you know? <laughs> no this is not your cop and a half movie it's like can you imagine you would have seen yeah. something like that in cop and a half the theater flipping <laughs> yeah. get your kids out get your kids out <laughs> in the middle of it the little kid just starts like pumping venom it's like i'm gonna kill burt reynolds <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, I like when Batman uh, arrives at the party. He has uh, basically told Robin uh, to hang to hang in the back. You know that he's got this. And on where is it at page seventeen? Uh, Tim is saying, you know, so how long is the backup supposed to hold back? There's a certain point, you know, where Brayfogle drew Tim uh, really well there. That it's the okay. Should I be going as tired and as weak as Batman appears to be, uh, he's he's still moving pretty good um, until Tim realizes Batman doesn't see the machine gun that Mad Hatter has. And I love the shot of Tim taking uh, out his staff, and of course we get to intermixed with Film Freak, but where he vaults up over the top, and this is what you're talking about, jumping from one panel into the other, and then lands on the back of uh, Mad Hatter. Batman in his best day would have seen that coming. And if Tim hadn't been there, Batman probably would have wound up with a few bullets in the back or if not one in the head. Um, and you know, the monkeys on back of Robin's back, which <laughs> I kind of thought was funny. You get the Batarang coming around. Um, I just, I love Breifogel's movement that he puts into his uh, characters. I just think that reads really well. And then the shot of uh, Bane, uh, doing the headbutt, and I think we talked about this um, in one of our previous episodes that you don't always see. Uh, if this would have been your comic that's you know written right now with uh, Capullo drawing it, you probably would have seen Bane's head go right through the guy's skull. It's still you know gruesome enough to the fact that you see you know everything's done in this monochrome color and blue, and all you see is the red blood, but you clearly know that Bane just smashed his head right through the guy's. Uh, face there yeah you know uh, this is a great fight scene i you know doug munch i I don't know how long he'd been writing comics before this and and the the prequel issues his work wasn't always the best that riddler issue and Mm -hmm. stuff it was kind of like you know but here i feel like he really did well he really hit his stride because there's three things going on in this fight you've got the bane film freak beatdown. you've got robin trying to contemplate to get into the fight and then you have batman in the fight and it moves really well in between the three story arcs um it's got the right amount of dialogue because i 
I mean, I, I don't know if you find this, but I find when I read a comic and there's no dialogue, I go through it too fast. It's like, and yeah. like I need a little dialogue to slow me down just enough to, to spend the right amount of time on a panel. But then if you've got a fight scene and there's all this dialogue, you're, you're too way down. It's almost like you're looking at mannequins, not actually having the action. So this was, I just thought, a perfect amount of dialogue. Um, going back and forth really had your attention. Um, on page 18... There's a scene with uh, Tim where um, he's got his like staff and the staff is like right, you know, in perspective and he's further back. That that's a really cool piece of artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it's a little tiny little thing, it's just cool how the staff looks so big because it's in the the foreground. And then here he is, you know, flipping out. His foot is out of the panel and, and touching the staff. So yeah, really, really good. It, it probably even works better that you don't see film freak's face you just see all this splatter of blood because your imagination will fill in the gap right. so much better and then on page 20 there's not a lot of dialogue but it's kind of like it, it it moves fast without it because it's supposed to move mass it's supposed to be like a bing bing boom boom like if uh robin hadn't stepped in batman would have just gotten shot with a machine gun in the back but you know like so i i think it works really well and then um, I like the ending where, like, uh, Bruce can't even say thank you to Tim. He's like, no, I saw it. I saw, you know, like, yeah. not like, oh, yeah, thanks, you know. So um, so that was kind of cool. And then the monkey at the end, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I can see how some people would hate that, but I kind of like it. I don't know why he's got the broken teapot. And um, so, yeah, overall, I mean, I think this this great way to start Nightfall. Yeah, and it, it sets um – it sets the mood between Batman and Robin. And I think, uh, aside from the next issue, there's only going to be one more Batman and Robin encounter. And then uh, Tim will basically be on his own trying to navigate his way through. Um, I just like Tim saying, hey, you're not uh, tricked. You're, it, it was only one gun, but pointed at your back. Uh, like, you know, like you said, I saw it. Um, and then Batman quickly realizing, you know, plus Bane, you know, just that exclamation point to the thing that we already know is out there um like we said we'll go into batman 659 uh this was the first you know <laughs> uh in the radio drama i know the maxi zeus is there here on <laughs> for free free to gather my legions once more <laughs> you know? in, in the radio drama uh they kind of amp it up that you know maxi zeus runs into a tree here he in the radio drama that we just heard which I haven't edited yet, but it's actually he runs into Harvey Bullock's fist. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> so I thought that was the uh, fun part. Um, and this made me laugh in the radio drama, and it made me laugh in the comics that the ventriloquist doesn't have Scarface, so uh, he has to resort to another puppet. It's Socko. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like the sock. Isn't it Amygdala's sock that he's taken from Amygdala? Am, am I... Uh, if you look on page oh, two, he's actually taking off his shoe, and it's his own it's sock. Not, okay. Yeah, um, but it, it's kind of funny. First of all, cover. I love. The oh cover. yes, sorry. Um, when I read this, or when I first saw it, before I even read it, like I was like, oh man, Batman's gonna get a beat down in this issue. Like I'm, I'm not sure who this guy is. I, I already wasn't even sure if it might have been Bane without his mask on. Yeah. But I just knew like, oh, this is this is a beat down. And then I don't know at what point I noticed that the little. Um, 
bat signal in the top right corner was starting to get a shadow on it, but I, I don't think I had realized it just yet. No. But go, going back and seeing that, it's kind of like, oh, it's it's cool that they were starting to do that. At this point, number two, I thought it might have been an ink smudge or something. I, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I was the same way. I, I think it might have been probably in issue three or four where I started noticing, uh, maybe it was even issue five, and I'm like, there's something going on with the bat. So I started looking at it and started going, hey, there, something's happening to the bat symbol. So then I was, every issue, I kind of wanted to see what was going on with that logo. And yeah. the farther we get, I started going, uh-oh, what's going to happen? You know, when, yeah. when we, whatever this logo turns into. And then I completely forgot this issue um, or from when I read it. So when I started reading it um, for the podcast, I read the first page and I was like, oh, okay, it's a Maxi Zeus issue. Um, and then I, I get to page two and, and then I, I see him run into the tree and I'm like, oh, maybe it's not Maxi Zeus this <laughs> issue then. Maybe it's something different. So um, I had read um, some Maxi Zeus issues earlier, so I knew who Maxi Zeus was. I don't know if I really knew the ventriloquist too well. I might have, and um, which I can never say. Is it? How do you say it? amalga? What do you say? Amygdala. Amygdala. Yeah, amygdala. Um, I don't think I've ever heard of him no. before or since. Uh, so th- they were kind of new. Um, but um, yeah, this issue, another one where I, I'd like to tell you like the things I, I see wrong with it, or, or me not from now, not nineteen year old me, but. I really didn't see much wrong with this. I really enjoyed this issue. Um, I think this issue, um, I did like issue one, but I think this one is stronger than what issue one is. Um, I, I like the dynamic. I think maybe it was just because the whole Mad Hatter thing. I was like, oh, it's the Mad Hatter, but the same thing we talked about. Oh, you got to start somewhere. Uh, but having two characters, one in Amygdala that I knew nothing about and just enough about the ventriloquist to be dangerous with, this really had me. Um, and the artwork in here, um, again, it's by Norm Breifogel. I think his art is better in this book than the previous uh, book. And it's interesting, too, that this is Detective Comics. So um, Chuck Dixon is writing this one, and in the previous one, it's Doug Minch, but Norm Breifogel is the artist on both of them. And that's something you didn't see too often. Normally, it'd be like, okay, we're hiring you to do the art on Batman, so we'll get somebody else to do the art on Detective Comics. So uh, and, you know, nowadays, it, you don't see artists pulling double duty. You will see writers pull double duty or triple duty or quadruple duty, but an artist is only able to normally just churn out that one book a month. But the fact that he did two books and both books look really good, um, I think says a lot for Norm Breifogel. Yeah. And I think if memory serves right, but I'm trying to look it up a little bit. I know Norm Breifogel was doing um, shadow of the bat at that time. Like they, he had gotten that like that as his showcase piece. So he probably took a break from shadow of the bat to, kick off nightfall and i i do believe that these were coming out um every other week so um so there was one per week because if you look at the top it, it um in the date it says early may right and for um batman it also says early may 93 so i think you know they they were coming out one after another like almost like a weekly um i'd have to double check on that but um yeah i mean chuck dixon i've always enjoyed his writing 
uh, Norm Broyfogle, who I can never say his name, <laughs> but, I, but I enjoy his art. Nightfall, Batman. I mean, 90s comics for a DC Batman fan doesn't get much better than, than that combination. No, not at all. And I would have loved to have seen a more uh, Dixon Brayfogle, um team together than just a few little blurbs they – or little stories they had. Uh, the shot on four of Batman and Robin I think is probably my fa- – one of my favorite panels um, in a lot of comics in general. But just out of this series with them descending down on probably what's left of uh, Film Freak's face, which – it took me till last night reading this that, uh, you know, Bane has just smashed uh, this poor guy's face and the trash can is laying over his head. So <laughs> yeah. as us, the reader, we don't actually get to see, you know, what it is. And, you know, it, it's done very tastefully of, you know, Batman checking the guy's pulse. But the look on Robin's face is like, this is disgusting. Disgusting. Like, yeah. if he could have horked in the Batmobile, he probably would have done it, and probably did. As soon as Batman was out of his sight, Tim probably uh, just uh, coughed up his bat lunch he, <laughs> yeah. just, he just had. Uh, to go back just real quick, for first of all, that, that, that scene on 4 where they're swooping in is awesome. Uh, but um, to page 3, where the ventriloquist is putting on the sock, I really like that, because I, I always like the ventriloquist better when um it's his psychosis that he's a normal person uh not a normal person but but he's not his there's nothing mystical or supernatural about him he's just a guy who's got this psychosis and this split personality uh that comes out through the ventriloquism i have not been a fan so much as when they want to try to say that the uh you know the puppet is possessed or has the spirit of some kind of gangster yeah. or or is some kind of magical mysticism and stuff i i i prefer much more the the kind of the real world like he's just a nut job kind of guy and i i like the angle of him being the nut job but you believe that the puppet is real, but you still have that thing going through your head of saying it's all in the ventriloquist mind when the ventriloquist is written really well, that even when Scarface is sitting on a shelf, it's still talking to him. It's, it's not the, like your, the whole mystical thing. There is a spirit trapped inside of it that he is so messed up that he doesn't even have to have Scarface on his hand. He is still hearing those thoughts. Um, I, and I, I like it that he has the, uh, another personality that, well, I don't have Scarface. So the sock is talking to me that he really believes, you know, the sock is his new boss. Yeah. Which uh, I, I think it's just a, a testament to Chuck Dixon's writing in this. Yeah. Um, five, this was something I had to read a couple times. I don't want to dwell too much on it, but after Batman and Robin leave this whole thing with the Lieutenant here on five, I don't, this is probably my only negative in the book is like, I just, I didn't get this scene. Uh, we don't come across this guy again. I don't believe in the series. Um, just a little bit more of exposition. I mean, I like the way it's drawn, but, um, it didn't do anything for me as far as the story. I thought this would could have been a panel uh, or a page that just could have been left out. I don't, I don't know how you thought about it. I was kind of curious to pick your brain. Yeah, kind of agree. Um, looking at it now and just like stepping back a little bit, I do like the coloring a lot. It's kind of got like this purple bluish shadowing, um, which is kind of cool. 
I just thought this was like an let's introduce Lieutenant Kitch here um, and that he's going to play a part with something later. But I don't um, I don't recall. I'm going to look up and see where he was. It says he was introduced in Detective 596. Actually, he's in 596, which is about 30 issues or 40 issues after this. Wow. So I'll try to find out where he ever came in or um, what he was. But to me, I thought, even as I read this today, I thought, okay, well, he is going to be a um, a part of Nightfall. And this is your little introduction that he's kind of a no-nonsense um, Jim Gordon style kind of cop here. Yeah, I, that's just funny that his next appearance is 30 issues from now. I mean, I like that they plant those little seeds, but 30 issues from now, I don't think I ever would have picked out, oh, yeah, in Nightfall Part 2, that's that guy, that's Kitsch. I I would have been thinking, where is this guy from? Um, I would like to think there's an editorial that says, hey, Jimmy, uh, look back at <laughs> Detective Comics uh, 659. Yeah, uh, in Comic Vine, uh, I just looked it up here, it says that he's uh – been in 72 issues, hmm. but it just – his whole entire biography is one sentence. <laughs> Former by-the-book lieutenant of Gotham PD, currently a defense attorney. So <laughs> that's it. So I'll, I'll, I'll try to look a little bit more. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really get why they needed to put him in there. Yeah. Uh, you said earlier we have the uh, Flanders uh, – Guy that's writing his book that says "I'm sane and so are you," you know, his little talk show, run of the talk shows that he's going around to kind of give the narrative. Uh, again, on seven, and more beautiful art by Norm Brayfogle of uh, Batman swinging down to the car, but it looks like he's dive bombing something off of Batman Arkham Knight that I like to do, just kind of skydive down, and it looks like Robin is swinging down from the. Uh, uh, fire escape, and I I love the looks of Batman and Robin, where their face are covered in silhouette, and there's not a lot of detail in it. You just get these shadows. Um, Robin's color sticks out more with just being uh, red and green and yellow, but I I love those type of images. That's really cool. Um, we have a shot of Robin noticing the hawk kind of circling around them. Batman is. A, talking to Tim and basically saying, you know, that's why we have to move really fast. The dangerous ones will be uh, those who get a chance to plan. Like Batman knows the more time we're taking with each one of these villains that the next one just has that much longer to plan their their next escape. And it's got to be in the back of Batman's head. Like we haven't come across the, the big guns yet of the Riddler and Two-Face and uh, the Joker you know, the more time that I'm, you know, farting around with, you know, the ventriloquist and, you know, Mad Hatter, who knows what the Joker could be knee deep into. So that was in the back of my mind when I was, you know, reading that of like, man, when the Joker comes up, what is that going to be like? Yeah, you know, that's coming. Page seven is fantastic artwork. I love how the birds wings spread the panels, Batman diving with the cape that's, you know, impossibly too long, but <laughs> awesome. Even Robin's cape looks awesome. I always get I get, I get a little sidetracked by all the graffiti in the background. I so love I. they both Breifel oh, puts a lot of anarchy symbols. So I yeah. love the anarchy, and then there's just weird thing like skids, and I think the demons with a Z was in something, and then somebody actually graffitied love and peace. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. kind of a weird thing, and then I love heavy heavy club, solid blood, and F O I A the oxymoron. I wonder if that's some kind of like 
DC Comics Inside Joke or something because I have I have no idea what that FOIA is. Do you? Yeah. No, no. Okay, not at all. yeah. Uh, no justice, no peace. Uh, post no bills. Very cool. Um, sometimes as simple as the panel is with you know with Batman and Robin diving into the car, it's just this blue like teal background. But uh, there's just so much else going on on the panel that uh, you don't notice. Like, you know, I don't need 500 buildings in the background with this particular art. There's enough dynamic stuff that that blue just really lends itself really well. We're kind of going through with uh, amygdala and uh, scare scarecrow. <laughs> I about said Scarface. Uh, the ventriloquist and Sako is there uh, taking over the. Uh, the nightclub, I believe that's what it is. Yeah, the uh, the tap room, which I kind of thought was really kind of funny that this is where uh, they decide to go. I thought the same thing that you did at the very front of this, that this might be Bane without his mask. Um, and I thought, wow, Batman's really going to go up against this guy. And I think Amygdala is actually bigger than what Bane is even on Venom. Yeah, that's why on the cover, you know, I wasn't sure. I think Bane without the mask or him, but yeah, he's he's pretty huge. This is another one of those, like you were talking about, uh, the sense of time um, that we have uh, Batman and Robin kind of chasing uh, Scar... Why Scar- I keep saying Scarface? Uh, yeah. The ventriloquist and Amygdala around. It's like these two must be like the Flash also. They're going from place to place in Batman and Robin. I don't think these two are, are fast enough. It looks like they're constantly on their feet. And the Batman and Robin are in the Batmobile, just arriving like minutes late each time. If they've gone to a bar and now they're in a toy store, which you know the ventriloquist has found another puppet being a duck, <laughs> which yeah. which I really thought was funny. And and in the radio drama, it's even funnier hearing the person doing the voice of the duck. So oh, really? you, yeah, when that comes up, it's a, it's quite a laugh. I it's it's pretty cool. Um, and then we have uh, Batman here on thirteen is. Uh, Telling Tim, you know, let me handle this and until I know what we're up against. And um, that's something I wanted to ask you about is Batman's still at this point not letting Tim really be the help that he needs out of Robin. Um, is he overcompensating for his fatigue and everything or is it more of I don't want to see I don't want Robin to see the condition that I'm in. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, you know, if I had one criticism, page 13, the art in some spots looks a little rushed. The bottom panel is kind of empty. Yeah. I wonder if Biography doing the two issues back to back, maybe this is where he kind of, you know, it's hard to have every issue look like a po- I mean, every panel look like a poster. Um, even Batman's head going in looks a little like <laughs> detached from his body when he's going in the toy store. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I don't know. That's like, one thing that kind of annoys me sometimes with Batman and Robin comics when they're the Batman's always like, Oh no, Robin, you stay here. Oh, it's too dangerous for you. Oh, you know, then don't, don't equip the kid with, you know, (laughs) all the armor and tech in the first place. So, um, I got it more as this was just kind of a, a little plot device. So that way Robin's outside and sees the Falcon and can have that interaction. But if I had to go like deeper, I think it's more Batman kind of thinks that, like, I may get killed and I'm not going to, br- you know, bring him in and get him killed as well. Like, you know, I'm OK with going in here and um, 
dying, but I don't want to, I don't want Tim to die because I'm, I'm weak. I'd rather him stay out and, and, you know, I'll, I'll do this alone. Um, I like the foreshadowing. I don't think this is done just like Bray Fogel decided, Hey, I'm going to do this shot of amygdala picking up Batman here. I mean, it's very much the same shot, uh, that will be done. Uh, I believe it's Aparo that draws uh, Batman getting his back broken, but you know, Migdala is completely lifting Batman up here. And this is a Batman that can fight a little bit more, but just looking at the sheer size of uh, his hands around Batman's uh, neck on a fifth, top of 15 and then on the bottom part of 15 where he's got one leg and then his other hand is clearly getting ready to choke Batman. I thought that was... Something where I remember reading this the first time, going, "Wow, we're only three issues into this, and uh, like, how is Batman getting out of this? Uh, what, did, what did you think about the art uh, there and seeing just the the size of Amygdala? Because I don't think we really we could tell how big Amygdala was, uh, but up next to Batman, this was something I thought was kind of like, whoa. Yeah, this is almost, um, or it might even be more brutal than that famous Bane, you know, scene with Batman, you know, get, getting his bat broken. This is getting his neck and leg ripped off here. Um, I do like on 14, if you look at the, uh, I guess their costumes or dolls or something, they've got enormous Norm and Dopey Dixon. So yeah. <laughs> I like that little inside joke thrown in. But, um, you know, in this, when I read it, I kind of... I don't want to say I glossed over the Batman fight, but I guess I kind of did. I was way more interested with the Robin bird confrontation, yeah. which then starts on page 16. Uh, Cause I, I kind of, the Batman fight seems kind of predictable. All right. Batman's going to get, you know, a pretty serious beat down, but in the end he's going to come out the winner, but weaker overall. But the whole, um, I guess the bird Italian bird Robin confrontation was a lot of like like I really you can't really predict what's going to happen there. So I, I think I was way more interested in that aspect of it. Yeah, um, I, I, it's a funny pose uh, that he has him in in the fourth panel on uh, sixteen. This really weird maniacal grin that Robin has, almost like "Ha ha, you didn't see me come up from the backside," you know, with yeah. his really long cape here. Um, and then Robin quickly realizing, I like, uh, sure, maybe some silly, some sissy bird like a Robin, you know, he kind of like flings uh, Talon uh, at Robin. You see the wide-eyed, you know, pupils of Robin there. And, and yeah, that, and I, li- I was going to say, I like how Robin disarms the bird by, you know, he could have, you know, like killed the bird or, you know, seriously hurt it. But instead he kind of takes off his cape and wraps it around and and you know, disarms the bird from ripping his face apart, but doesn't kill the bird. I thought that was really well done within, you know, the, the character of Tim Drake, Tim Drake wouldn't, you know, murder that bird needlessly or, or, um, you know, wantonly. So I thought that was pretty good how they did that. Yeah. It just the little misstep in Bray Fogel's, uh, art that we kind of looked at when the bottom of 13, um, I don't know if that was one of the last pages, but 18 and 19, there's all kinds of action going on from uh, just the dynamic poses that uh, Robin is in and then uh, kind of jumping up and kicking 
uh, bird in the face and then him getting backhanded. Um, you're kind of seeing both Batman and Robin taking some pretty bad blows, um, almost in, in the same perspective, but just at, at different times uh, there. Um, I think this is kind of one of those two that Tim was told to wait, you know, outside the Batmobile and if needed, he'll be asked. So it's kind of a bold move on Tim's part to be like, well, there's this bird that's been flying around. I, I'm just going to go check and see what's going on. And here he's getting himself into uh, a fight. And uh, Tim has still kind of met his match a little bit. I think the only thing that really kind of saves him is Bane calling uh, Bird and basically saying, now let's not waste time on on Robin. We have other plans. And uh, it's just by the sheer grace of uh, Bane calling that allows Robin to probably live or not be severely uh, beat, which, you know, being the Robin fan, I wanted to see Robin deliver a blow to this guy and drag him off the roof and going, hey, I got my guy, did you get yours? Yeah, I, I did not like the ending of that fight with the phone call. I would have either liked to have seen um, either Robin just get knocked out and then hit Bird just walking away and just being like, hey, you know, or um, Robin realize, you know, Robin. I'd rather have seen Robin give Bird the beat down, but then mm. see Batman was in serious trouble and needed help and, and left him or or something other than just the phone call. I thought the phone call was a little weak um, yeah. myself. But, you know, it's it's not, not the worst thing, but it's just kind of a weak way to end it. Yeah, and then it ends with uh, Batman basically getting back to the Batmobile. Um, <laughs> it's funny that, you know, Batman has this knockdown dragout fight with Amygdala and leaves the Mad Hatter. You know, just basically walks out and, uh, you know, uh, he's having a conversation. They say, what do we do about Scarface? You mean Scar- the, the ventriloquist? Or the villain? Why do you keep yeah. saying the Mad Hatter? So the <laughs> Either vin- calling him Scarface or Scar- Mad Hatter. Yeah. You know, the dude that has got this psychotic break. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, having the, you know, what do we do about Scarface? And Sokka's like, I say we kill him. You know, uh, that just seems out of, I would say it, it's in character for Batman. If Batman was thinking on with his full faculties, he would have cuffed, uh, I say about stop myself. I about said Mad Hatter, yeah. <laughs> uh, the ventriloquist and it chained him to the wall or whatever, but he just leaves, uh, the Mad Hatter there and goes back out to the Batmobile and, uh, sees a note from uh, Robin that went bird watching. Yeah. So that's kind of where, uh, the issue, uh, ends off. And, uh, I liked that the books were coming out, uh, biweekly. You didn't have to wait monthly, uh, for a book, so like you said, it was like reading a uh, uh, a weekly series. Yeah, and if you look on the um, letter columns, I, I see it says um, over in shadow. Um, there's a story about Cadaver, Shadow of the Bat 12 by Alan Grant and Vince Garano, G-I-A-R-A-N-O. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess you know that's why Biography was not doing. The Shadow Books, and I guess he was stepping in, and I actually liked his artwork. I that Griano guy, I forget what he did. He did a Manhunter series for a little yeah. bit, and um, he did a, some Batman stuff. I think he did some Azrael stuff too. I, I really kind of liked his work. But the last pay on the cover, but not the back cover, the inside back cover is an ad for 4.93 with Zaz. That is colored different than the actual cover of. Um, 
493. Yeah. Look, I remember seeing that looking, wow, this is really menacing and really like, um, like, wow. And it's a little different because on the cover of 493, they've got the Batman logo where here they just have the Nightfall logo and you can kind of see it changing a little bit. But that is a great ad, even though it's right from the cover. It's still the different coloring and stuff. That's like that's really cool. Like if that was a horror movie, I'd want to go see it. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And this was my first introduction to Zaz uh, as well. Um, I just thought that was really really cool. Um, yeah. I, I think it too. It helps that it's on this really glossy uh, stock too. It it has a nice sheen to it that it really kind of pops. And uh, I remember thinking, man, this guy, which I thought were like. He had like these were all stitches. I didn't realize once we get to Zaz that he's actually taking the knife and making these cuts himself. And I was like, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure Zaz was in the first story arc of Shadow of the Bat because mm-hmm. uh, Batman goes to Arkham. I'm pretty sure that was in there. If not, it was somewhere before. I know I had seen him because there was the one issue. And there was a murder, and they thought it was him, and then they checked his body, and there were no new marks um, on him. But then when he sat down, it was like under his foot, like it was on the bottom of his foot. So that's why when he was standing and they were searching him, they couldn't find it. And I remember thinking, like, that is really cool. Um, so I, I definitely know when I saw this ad, I knew Zaz and was like, oh, this is this is going to be good. Yeah, I I remember getting done uh, with uh, these two issues, and especially seeing that ad, I I really wanted to see that Zaz story, so it wouldn't be for just a little bit yet. Uh, But for the next time on Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake, uh, this is where I said we're going to. It's in still line with the story, but we're going to be following Tim basically uh, through the rest of the Nightfall series. And it just so happens that Tim's next adventure, since he's off tracking uh, the bird and uh, Talon, that it's going to be Detective Comics uh, 660, which uh, the sticker that I bought this, uh, I paid $7.75 for this comic. <laughs> so, yeah. So apparently I didn't buy this off the uh, newsstand, but I must have bought Batman 490 because I don't have a yellow sticker on top of it. So those are the next two, and uh, I haven't reread them yet. Um, it may go into... Um, if I've got it right here, uh, Batman 661. I'm trying to figure out where uh, the Robin Little uh, story kind of weaves its way through. So uh, those are at least the two books, possibly the three that we will look at the next time here. And uh, Tim is going to get his very first taste of what Bane and then the rematch of the Bane-Killer Croc fight is going to be like without a Batman in sight. So that's what we can look forward to on the next episode of Robin. Everyone loves the Drake. Uh, any uh, final thoughts you have here uh, in closing this uh, episode? Uh, you know, just kind of the thoughts that I, I started with. I, I'm amazed at how well this, these books hold up after 20 something years. Um, and um, it's kind of fun to, to relive those memories of reading it um, back then. And, uh, I guess if somebody, you know, somebody was our age and, and read it, they they kind of know. But um, I I almost feel bad for the people who are new to it that they didn't have that experience of going to the comic shop every week and seeing those back issues going up and seeing you know more and more people buying it and just kind of the um, momentum building each week after week after week. Um, 
Uh, it was a pretty awesome time to be a comic book fan. And then uh, for next issue, or our next podcast, 660, that is a great cover. Now we're getting into the Sam Keith covers, and Robin's yep. like all tied up in a sewer, and Bane and Killer Croc. I, I remember that was one... I probably should save this to next time, but that was one where sometimes you get your books and you just like start reading them right away in the parking lot. That's one where like I just stared at the cover in the parking lot. I remember just like staring at that cover for like I, probably a good five minutes, just like analyzing every little thing on it because I was just blown away by like how good that was and um, you know Robin being front and center. It was it was pretty awesome. I remember thinking like I. Like two, I should save us for the podcast. We'll we'll revisit it. I don't care. Yeah. But uh, thinking, Batman told you to stay at the car, and now <laughs> you yeah. got yourself tied up. And uh, that's funny that you said that. There were times where I would get the my books rather than it was a fifteen minute drive home, but I could not wait uh, to read. I sometimes I would they would have chairs set up in the comic book shop. I would read it right there, and the guy was like, oh, so I suppose you're not going to buy it. I'm like, no, no, I'm going to buy it. I, I just, I can't wait to read it. So yeah. if, all, if all the chairs were were full, the few little tables that they had, I'd get in the car, and I'd read it, and then I'd get home, and then I would read the previous issues. I don't know if you did that. Oh, totally, that yeah. If so we're on issue four, I read, after I read four, then I read one, two, three, and four. So by the time we get to, like, we're in 12 and 13, I kind of stopped doing that. I may have read, like, the the previous ones i thought okay i'll read three at a time yeah i mean back when i had more time when i was in high school and, and middle school yeah i'd read issues three four times a month and just reread them and and you know having that extra time now with you know <laughs> i'm lucky if i can get through it once before you know it they start stacking up i think i've got i can't even tell you how many new 52 books i have sitting around that i haven't even read yet so um it's i'm the same sad. way yeah, but, same way. <laughs> um, yeah, no, definitely. I, I would, I do that a lot with, uh, especially if it was like a four-part series or stuff. Or sometimes what I'd do is like if it was a four-part series, I, I just and I wasn't like burning to read it. I just wait until I got all four por- four. Yeah, can't speak either. <laughs> all four parts, and then just kind of read them back to back to back. But. Um, yeah. Now I'm lucky if I get 15 minutes on the toilet to <laughs> right. read half an issue. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm gonna be in here for a little bit. I might as well take my stack of books and hopefully yeah. I can get through two. Uh, Kids are like, oh, where's he going? Oh, he brought in Watchmen with him. He'll be gone for a while. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Well, thanks, Terrence, for uh, uh, being my regular co-host for a while, and uh, enjoy having you on as always. Um, you'll probably hear Terrence and I again soon over on Batman and Robin Eternal, which I think uh, after issue four comes out, uh, then we'll line up a time to record for uh, Boss and Robin and everyone loves a Drake. I'm in too many different places, Batman yeah. and Robin Eternal. So we'll get in our time machine that Marty McFly invented with Doc Brown, and we'll drive into the future, into 2015, which it's kind of funny now that, you know, back to the future, it's going to be in the past, you know? Yeah. The uh, entire saga takes place in the past. Yeah. So sad. Well, thanks for tuning in everybody. And we will see you here on Robin. Everyone loves the Drake in just a little bit. Take care. See ya. Thanks for listening to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake comic podcast. This has been brought to you by the Batman universe.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, and I am making no money from it. 
much to the displeasure of my wife. Sorry, babe. So no infringement is intended by this show. This also applies to all music and sound clips as they have their own copyright holders as well. You can now find this podcast on iTunes and Windows Media as well. There you can rate and leave a comment to the show and subscribe. I hope that you do. You can also find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. You can send a message there as well. If you'd like to email, you can do so by sending me one at r10myers at yahoo.com. That's R as in Robin, one zero M-Y-E-R-S at yahoo.com. And I'll read your emails on the air. Make sure that you head over to the batmanuniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thank you for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care.